This is a Woodside Church podcast. It's, uh, it gives me a real thrill to introduce the next speaker to you. Many of you will know her very well. Uh, Ruth is uh, on the staff with us. Uh, she's part of our senior leadership team. She's a massive part of what we're building here. Uh, in fact, I, I remembered that when I came here some seven, eight years ago, uh, Ruth very soon after that joined the staff team. And so we've worked closely together. She's a good friend. And I know she's going to bless us this morning. So would you please put your hands together to welcome Ruth Matthews. Thank you very much, Martin. Thank you to all of you. It's great to see you. It's nice to see Marion again. Welcome back from your adventures. And I know, no doubt, you'll be off again soon. But it's great to see you, Marion. And it's great to see every single one of you. And uh, as Martin said, my name's Ruth, and I'm part of the team here. And uh, I'm going to be sharing some things that I've um, around my hero, David. David as in Old Testament. No, not David Hunt and not David Devonish. David Old Testament, okay? Though they are mini heroes. Or does that... Fine, thank you very much. Phew, gosh, who knew it was so precarious being up here? Anyway, um, uh, there's, there's lots of reasons why David's my hero, and I'm going to unpack some of those as we go through this morning. But one thing, I'd like to start with a a story straight away as to why David's my hero. Some years ago, I went to a conference, and the speaker stood up and sort of said, "Um, I'm going to talk about Psalm 27, verse 10. And the verse was, even if my father and mother abandon me, I will never abandon you, says the Lord. And it hit me right here. And the reason for that, I need to go back into some of my history, is when I was growing up, my parents um, separated and then divorced. And I literally went to uh, bed one night, family intact, and got up the following morning and my mum had left. And I didn't really know that that was coming and um, but that was what happened and although it was not clearly my parents were divorcing each other but nonetheless as a child I felt abandoned and some time later my dad remarried my stepmom an incredible lady and um, but sadly when I was 16 <clears throat> that marriage too went through a very difficult patch and um, my um, dad then left and again, similar story, I went to bed. Things had been difficult. There, were, there, were, there was an atmosphere in the house. But I went to bed and um, I got up and the following morning I found my dad had gone. So although some years later I then went through a period of time when I uh, forgave my parents and I had some things to repent of because my attitude towards them was not right but I had gone through that kind of um, time in my life. But still I knew something wasn't quite right. Until that day when the speaker said the verse, even if my father and mother abandon me, I will never abandon you, says the Lord. 
And two things hit me straight away. The first was this, that that actually was my story. It felt for me as if my father and mother at different times in my life had abandoned me. But no sooner had that realisation came than a bigger, greater truth then hit me. That God has never abandoned me and never will. And the truth of that just did something in my life. It was like a bit of a revelation moment. You can read these things sometimes in scripture, can't you? I'd never heard of that verse, to be honest, until that moment. But then the truth can really penetrate your heart and shift something that definitely had been lodged there for a very long time, which actually I probably could not have articulated or have been really wide awake alert to, but I just knew something wasn't right. That was one line written by David in one psalm. That's one reason why he's my hero. That, that really was a bit of a life-changing moment for me. And that I, I have no clue really what the preacher spoke about after that. I, that. It was that scripture that did it. That was the revelation point for me. And uh, having chosen to do David as my hero, I very quickly came to realise that perhaps I made a bit of a strategic error because actually there's more written about David in the Old Testament than anybody else. So I had no shortage of material. In fact, it was a little overwhelming. (laughs) And I did wonder if I could go back and renegotiate, but I didn't think that would go down very well. So I sort of was stuck with this hero of mine, which I clearly identified with, but didn't really know, well, what do I do and what do I not do? And I didn't think that if I did everything that was in the Old Testament, you would be very happy with me, and I probably would not bless you. So what did this still down for half an hour? And then as I was praying, I, I kind of had this divine inspiration moment when I remembered that one of the things that's said about David is that he's a man after God's own heart. And I thought, do you know what? That's a good place to settle on in terms of sharing some things this morning. And then I thought, well, if David's a man after God's own heart, what does that phrase mean? What kind of characteristics does someone have who um, is about God's own heart? But firstly, before I get to there, I I just want to um, explain a little bit about why he's called that and at what point in the Bible. Actually, there are two references. There's one point in the Old Testament and then again in the New So in 1 Samuel chapter 13, it says, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. So what was happening at this moment is that Samuel was the priest in Israel. And Samuel had already anointed Saul as the first king of Israel. The people said, we want a king. And that was who they had. Now, actually, Saul started out okay. But gradually, as time went on, he became increasingly difficult and petulant and ultimately rebellious against God. So it was time for a bit of a changing of the God. And Samuel heard God tell him, you need to go and anoint the next king of Israel. And so he was sent with his anointing oil to the family, the father of whom was called Jesse. 
And Jesse had several sons, and he had these sons lined up. And um, as Samuel was looking at these young men, all of whom apparently were of fine appearance, he couldn't find the right man to be king. And what God was saying to Samuel is, I don't look at the outward appearance, it's the heart. Having got to the end of the line, though, he had a problem. and said to Jesse, is this it? Have you any more sons? And I don't know why he would even, ah, wait a minute, there's one more. <laughs> Hello? You know, I think probably he'd spent time with his youngest son up to this point. But David was out in the fields looking after the sheep. And had to be, um, someone had to go out and get him. He had to be brought in, join the end. And as soon as Samuel saw him, he knew that this was the man. So he anointed him as king, declaring that this is a man after God's own heart. And the second point where we have this reference to David being a man after God's own heart is in Acts chapter 13. And this is where Paul is uh, on his first missionary journey now at the start of the church. And he's traveling around telling people all about Jesus and uh, the good news of the gospel. And he, on one of his preaches, is putting out, setting out his store and explaining to people Jesus is the one. He's the fulfillment of all the promises. And so how he does it is he goes through Old Testament story. And he gets to the point about David and he says this, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now that's quite some statement, isn't it? I I don't know about you, but two things for me. A, I want to be like that. I'd love it if God said about me, this is my testimony. Ruth is someone after my own heart. And then a second thought creeps in. But I'm not there yet. And my guess is probably most of the rest of us aren't either. That in some way, we've started this journey, but we're not there yet. And I thought, well, maybe by looking at what it is about David, my hero, that makes him someone after God's own heart, can help us on our journey. So I've settled on three things. The first is that David was a worshipper. Actually, David was a skilled musician. He played the harp. I don't think that's necessarily a criteria for... You don't all have to sign up for harp lessons. (laughs) in order to kind of be someone after God's own heart. And David also wrote and sang many of the psalms that we have in the Old Testament. In fact, 73 out of a total of 150 were from David's pen. And these go into the book of Psalms to help make up the manual for worship. Now, there is within um, the book of Psalms some directions in terms of how we worship. So there's some things said around dancing and singing and clapping and raising our hands and shouting and declaring, those kind of things. But I don't think that's the main purpose of the book of Psalms. It's more to say about the content of our worship, 
What do we worship about? What do we say when we worship? When we start to look at these, we realize that David was really, really honest. He didn't write, everything is all right in the world, everything is all right, all right. That just was not his style, particularly when it clearly wasn't. Psalm 13 opens with these verses. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Wait a minute. That doesn't sound like any worship song that I sing or that I know. But yet this was what David wrote. But why? What's going on here? Well, David needs, needed to express his emotions, how he felt, what he was thinking, and what was going on for him at the moment. And this is actually one of the reasons why David is my hero. Because he shows us that God can clearly handle all our negativity, our low moments, our sadness, and our grief. So if David could do it, and it's in the Bible... I think that probably indicates that we can too. So let's be real with where we are at and not be saying everything's all right in the world, it's all right. And if you find actually I haven't got the language to express what I'm feeling, maybe like me, you don't even really, you know something's not quite right, you don't even really know what it is, then I would encourage you to go back to the book of Psalms and read through until you find one that expresses where you are at at this moment, because I expect there's one there just for you. But David doesn't stop there. In fact, Psalm 13 continues, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. David doesn't get stuck in his situation. Nothing might have changed, I don't know. But this man knew how to keep connecting with God until he got to his but moment. And now we find we have a declaration of faith, of trust in God, and a declaring that his love never fails. David's chooses to praise through the pain until he knows his heart connects with God's heart. And that, for me, is truly inspiring, maybe even heroic. It's not the only thing that we have from David, though, about worship. There is this little matter of him praising and dancing in his undergarments when he was the king. The Bible calls it a linen ephod, really amounts to the same thing. And he was dancing as this procession was going into the capital of Israel, Jerusalem. I think actually this was probably one of David's best moments, although we might not think it was very kingly. Because David passionately wanted worship to be at the heart of the nation's life. 
And there came a moment when they were going to bring into the capital city something called the Ark of the Covenant. Not the Ark as in Noah, but something else entirely. It was a box, a very ornate and holy box, but a box within which were important and significant uh, objects. It had been captured by the Philistines, but now it was on its way back to the capital city, right at the heart of the nation. And David was exuberantly dancing with all his might in front of the Ark of the Covenant as it entered. Because David knew what it represented. He knew that what this object represented was God's presence. And this fueled his joyful dancing. I find this hugely challenging. David expressed all of this because of what at the end of the day was a box. And the challenge for me, and perhaps for all of us, is we know Jesus. We don't have a box to dance in front of, but we have Jesus and what he has done in our lives. Now, I'm no dancer. (laughs) I can't really gracefully glide. And I can't really exuberantly jump. But this isn't really about dancing. This is about our hearts. And if we're serious about being after God's own heart, worship must surely be one of the keys for us. And the question for me and for you is what are we worshipping? What are the priorities in our life? What is the thing that we are exuberantly dancing in front of? So last Sunday, when I was watching the cricket, there was a very exuberant moment at the end. Now, why do I do that with that, which most people have probably forgotten about, and yet... I don't have the same exuberance for Jesus who's changed my life. I don't know. I can't. It's a challenge. And I think probably it's a challenge for each one of us too. But worship was key for David, this man having a heart after God's. And I think it's one of the keys for us as well. Secondly, David knew and loved God. David knew God as creator. So Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. For David, everything in the earth pointed to a creator God. He'd seen the intricacies of the stars, been part of the seasons, heard the birds sing, The joy of drinking fresh water. He'd been there when new lambs were born. He'd seen and known the pattern of daylight and then darkness. And for David, all of it pointed to an amazing God. David was always careful to worship the creator and not the creation. His knowledge of God's creation led him to a greater understanding of his place in the world. It's another reason why David's my hero. I love being outdoors and I love seeing the sea or walking through woods or just about anything. 
as long as it's not man-made. <clears throat> Who said that? Not quite. But, you know, I, I just love observing the kind of pattern of the seasons. And I think one of the nice things about this week, as we've been remembering 50 years since man went on the moon, we, we've looked at the moon again, perhaps with fresh eyes. And I, I wonder, as, as we look at some of these things, let's enjoy God as creator and celebrate him for that part of his character. Also, David knew the goodness and the love of God. Psalm 86 says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Even in David's most difficult battles, when he's betrayed and facing almost insurmountable odds, he always comes back to this place that he knows in his soul God is good and his goodness and love will follow him all the days of his life. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm sure David wrote that. And it was part of his foundations of knowing God and his walk with God. And those never crumbled. After all, if David could protect his sheep the way he could, wouldn't God do the same for him? And knowing that kind of truth kept David secure, even when his circumstances were not good. The same can be true for us, that knowing that God is good and his goodness and love will never end can help us even when our circumstances ebb and flow and things change. One of my prayers is that I never forget the goodness and the love of God, even when I'm confused or disappointed or uncertain. Declaring God's love over all our circumstances I think is part of what it means to have a heart after God's. David also knew that God was holy. Psalm 15 says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. David knew that clean hands and a pure heart were necessary to come to a holy God. He knew he had to rely on God's mercy and follow God's laws. But for David, this wasn't a duty, but a delight. Psalm 19 says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold. They're much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. For David, following and worshipping a holy God wasn't something to be afraid of, but something to be in awe of. David knew that if God chose to, he could extinguish his life just like that. So for David, the miracle that a holy God would choose him and take him from being overlooked to being the king, someone who was leading the nation, for him it was always incredible. David had the perspective, you're God and I'm not. And much of that flowed from his understanding that God is holy. But David was far from perfect. In fact, David sinned terribly. We can't really ignore this season in David's life when things went horribly wrong because of his poor choices and sin. And it 
frankly, even, seems even more bizarre when we know that David knew how to worship God and he knew about God's goodness and love. So what went wrong? Well, the story is told in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And the episode begins with um, us being told in the season when kings go to war. The trouble was that David hadn't. He was very much at home enjoying life. Others had gone, but not David. I think that might have been his first mistake. He wasn't in the place where he should have been. As a, should have, as a king, he should have been leading his troops. But instead, he sent Joab, who was the leader of the army. He was going to do his job for him. No idea why. But one evening, at some point while he was relaxing at home, he went onto the roof of his palace and could look down on the roof of another house and saw a woman bathing. He probably should have looked away at that moment, but he didn't. And he came to the conclusion that this woman was beautiful and sent a messenger to find out who she was. And the message came back. She's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So many alarm bells should have been ringing at this point. And it just seemed they weren't. In fact, he went off, visited her, made love to her and came home. And sometime later, Bathsheba sent a message to say, I'm pregnant. This was not looking good at all. So what he thought he would do is get the husband back home, send him to his wife, and then things hopefully would get easier for him. So Uriah the Hittite was summoned back from the battlefield, was told to go home and have a nice evening with his wife. But Uriah the Hittite didn't do that because he acted honorably. He came to the conclusion that the other soldiers are not at home with their wives, so why should I go back and have a nice romantic evening with mine? So he slept, not at his house, but outdoors, because his men were sleeping in tents. David realized that his plan had failed, so he decided to send Uriah back to the battlefield And this time, Joab was told, put him in the place where the fighting is fiercest. And then, when it's really bad, withdraw the other soldiers and then leave him right in the most vulnerable place. And, of course, the inevitable happened. And the message came back that Uriah the Hittite is dead. Bathsheba, after a time mourning for her husband, then went and became David's wife and gave birth to a son. But there's a phrase at the end of this chapter that simply says this, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So how can David possibly be my hero with all of that? And why does the Bible call him a man after God's own heart with that in his CV? Well, I think the answer, or one answer, is relatively simple. David was a flawed human being, and he was not God. And also, this wasn't the end of the story. Chapter 12 starts with a visit. Nathan, who was a prophet of God, went to see David. And he told David a story, a story to do with injustice. 
a story to do with a rich man who saw a poor man who had a lamb. And the rich man decided to take the lamb that belonged to the poor man. David could instantly see the wrong in this story and says, the man who did this must surely die. He must pay back for the wrong he has done. And Nathan looked at him and just said, you are that man. And Nathan then explained to him the consequences of his actions and the judgment that would come. And David simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. And actually this is another reason why David's my hero. Because he doesn't make excuses for himself. He could have said, I couldn't help it. Or it was her fault. Or I'm the king. I can do what I like. But he didn't say any of it. He simply recognises his sin and then repents. There are consequences. David doesn't die, but his son sadly does. But David radically and truly repents. He realises that this sin is against God. And this sin has fractured his relationship with God. And for him, what needs to happen is the relationship needs to be restored, king or not. Psalm 51 gives his prayer of repentance. These are a few verses from that psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David knew that genuine repentance would take him, bring him back to God. Because he knew God is the God of the second chance. And I wonder for us sat here today, what there is in our lives that mean that right now, what we want from God, please God, give me a second chance. Because he does. He did with David. He messed up royally. And yet, he repented and knew God's forgiveness. And his prayer, create in me a pure heart, O God. Do you know, we can come to God and because of what Jesus has done for us, he can give him his tran- the transforming power that there is in him to us so that we can know forgiveness and we can walk with a pure heart because of Jesus and what he has done. So I'd just like to challenge you to challenge me. What opportunity do you need today to have a fresh start? Where do we need to come back to God and ask for forgiveness? What is there hidden in our hearts where our cry is, Lord, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me? I'd love us to pray. And I'll just lead us in prayer. But if afterwards you'd like anyone to pray for you 
about anything that I've um, said. There'll be some people here who can just help you and um, pray through anything that you might feel you want some help with. Father, I thank you that you are the God of the second chance. And uh, God, that you can blot out and you do blot out our transgressions. That the things that we've done that displease us, never mind displease you, God, you can take away. So Father, we come again to the foot of the cross. We come to you, Jesus, because you have forgiven us as we repent. I thank you, Lord, that there are second chances, new opportunities, that our prayer can be, God, create in me a pure heart and a steadfast spirit. And Lord, I want to pray for each one of us. I pray, God, that as David heard the truth from Nathan, he did not make excuses. God, I pray we would not make excuses, but that we would come running back to you. I thank you, God, that as we run to you, you always have open arms. So, Lord, I I pray that you would do a, a cleansing work in our lives. We ask, oh God, that we would be those more and more like Jesus, more and more in love with you, more and more men and women who are after your own heart. We ask, Lord. Amen. Amen. Ruth, thank you so much. Shall we thank you? You're so welcome. (laughs) You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.